Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 39, we're going to be resuming where we left off last week. We left off last week after verse 6, or we actually got to the end of verse 6. That's where we're going to actually end up starting uh, this week is that last sentence of verse 6. I do want to say something, though. Uh, I'm only coming to you as a, as a fallible person, right? I'm only coming to you with this much knowledge. Uh, I have a limited knowledge, right? So don't trust what I tell you as a substitute for doing your own study, right? And, and as a substitute for being in prayer, God, what would you have me uh, to understand from my Bible reading today? You know, uh, always start your Bible reading with prayer, asking God to reveal to you what it is he has for you. Because don't think you can read through this whole thing and then just say, I'm, I'm good and done, you know? And, and like you never need to read God's word again. No, he's got something for you every single day. And you can go through a passage 10, 20, 30 times and he's going to have something, something appropriate for your circumstances that will be different than the last time you came through that passage. All right. So uh, when I come to you, I'm hoping that I'm just planting seeds. I'm hoping I'm watering some other seeds, but it's up to God to give the increase. All right. So I hope this isn't your only sustenance, spiritual sustenance in the week, right? Because if it is, you're, you're, you're going to be malnourished. <laughs> All right. I do my best to give you what I've got, but this is only one meal out of an entire week worth of feasting on God's word. All right, Genesis chapter 39, first book of the Bible, 39th chapter. We are in verse 6. Verse 6 ending with Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And you remember last week, dun, dun, dun. You know, that signal that, oh, something could be going on. Why does the author want to point that out to me? That Joseph is handsome in form and appearance. Well, because it has to do with what we're going to read in the next verse. Somebody mind reading verse 7. It came about that after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Oh, dear. Okay, so let's let's sort out who the players are in this verse. Who do we have as the characters of the players in, the, in this verse? Potiphar's wife. So you got Potiphar's wife, good, and Potiphar as, as a veiled reference, because that's the master, right? And then who who's the other person? Joseph. Joseph. So we've got Joseph, we've got Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Joseph is a servant in Potiphar's household. Potiphar trusts everything to Joseph. Everything. Except his wife. Mm-hmm. And the food. <laughs> At night, you know. He's, he's content to just come home and have a nice meal. And everything, all of his concerns at home are taken care of by Joseph. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's understood. He's married. You, you, don't, you don't have charge over the wife. All right. So here she, she's making herself an issue. She's making herself a problem in Joseph's life and says, lie with me. Is she looking for a fellow liar? She's looking for somebody to tell lies with. Is that what we're looking at here? Is that what it means? No, they're not playing a game where you lie about something. No, this is no. She's looking for sex. Oh, okay, um, Joseph. He's under Potiphar for sure, and he's married to her. So in a sense, he's kind of under her as well. So that's almost like a supervisor or a boss, one level above you, making a pass at you. When their boss, you know, the next person above, 
clearly that would be an offense. All right. <laughs> uh, here's one thing I, want, I do want to point out. We started this chapter by recognizing or seeing in verse 1, Joseph's away from home, right? Joseph is in a foreign land, and fortunately God's been with him. Fortunately, you know, he could be out there slogging through the brick pits, you know, or on some big building project. But fortunately, he's got a cushy job inside a household for somebody important. And uh, it it seemed to be working out for him pretty well up until this point. Uh, But what I'd say is when you're filling in the blanks on those papers right there, the first one says, beware of temptation when you're away from home. Beware of temptation when you're away from home. He's away from home. He's away from his support system. He's away from people maybe that can hold him accountable. And maybe these are modern-day things. You know, maybe they didn't really experience that, you know, extra temptations away from home. Maybe they did. But I'm saying for us, we can relate, right? Have you ever gone on a trip? I've been on a couple trips where I'm without my family, without my wife, you know, uh, maybe my work. They decide they're going to send me to this place. Uh, I remember when I was working with the bomb squad, and they sent me away to Alabama for six weeks. I knew before I went to Alabama for six weeks that there was going to be temptation, and sure enough, there was. I was expecting it, so I was somewhat more prepared than the person who might not be expecting it. All right, uh, so yeah, we go to Alabama, and what happens is like night number two or night number three. Hey, come on, we're all going to the strip club. Everybody else wants to go to the strip club. I'm like, no, you know, no. I'm, not, I'm just saying. I I knew that was coming, but I didn't know in what form. I knew there was going to be temptations. I knew don't turn on the TV. You know, late at night, leave the TV off. You know, if you want to watch something stupid in the you know 6 p.m. 7 p.m. time, fine, but don't turn it on late. You know, and I knew there was going to be issues with being away from home. Beware of temptations when you're away from home. Also, another one here from verse 7. The master has trusted everything to him. So the second one that I would say there is watch out for temptation after success. Watch out for temptation after success. You know, a good illustration of that that we see in the Bible is Elijah. Elijah on Mount Carmel. You look at that story and you go, man, God showed up in a big way in that story. Success story for Elijah. But what happens? Elijah ends up going through a really low period in his life right after that. So watch out for temptation after success. Sometimes people, they go through a period of success and they feel like, I deserve some sort of reward. Well, the devil's more than happy to come knocking on your door and present to you something that, hey, I got a reward for you. Oh, well, you know, I'm such a good worker for God. I can take a little, you know, holiday from God. for No, (laughs) that's not how it works. So beware of temptation when you're away from home. Watch out for temptation after success. All right. Verse 8. Somebody mind reading verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. Excellent. Thank you, Cindy. Look at the first word there. What's the first word out of Joseph's mouth when he's talking to his master's wife? Look, right, he's appealing to her reason, right? He's trying to reason with a seductress. Mm-hmm. How often is that going to work? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's probably not going to work, all right? But, uh, okay, we'll give him credit. I mean, let's start uh, start with baby steps, and let's see if we can reason with the seductress. It's not going to work. In this story, it's not going to work, all right? Uh, one of the things to recognize as well, this is where he works. This is his job location. It's also where he lives. It's, uh, so he, he can't really get away you know, it's not like he's there in the daytime and then he goes somewhere else at, at night. This is where he's at all the time. He's working with this woman in the house, and we just need to recognize that sometimes you're going to work alongside, you're going to work with people that have a completely different worldview than you. 
sometimes you just got to realize you're going to be working with people whose standards of morality are completely different from you. All right. So don't be surprised when somebody behaves in a way that is not congruent with the way that maybe you behave. All right. So clearly it looks like we've got that situation going on with Potiphar's wife and with Joseph. Verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master? Is that is that what it says? How can I sin against Potiphar? Is that what he says right there? No. no. Well, who's he saying it's going to be a sin against? God. Against God. So he recognizes that any sin you commit is a sin against God. Now, there are some sins that maybe other people don't get hurt. Like if I eat too much, all right, it's probably not going to hurt others. I mean, if I get drunk and I drive and I crash into somebody else's car, that's going to definitely hurt other people, all right? But despite how you weigh your sin and say, oh, others aren't going to get hurt, it's still an offense to God. Even if you've convinced yourself by your own self-rationalization, nobody else is going to get hurt, that's not okay. That doesn't make sin okay. It doesn't mean that God's not offended. He is. So every sin that you commit is an offense against God. Probably one of the greatest examples in the Bible of somebody who recognizes that their sin is first and foremost a sin against God. You have the story of, of uh, David, King David and Bathsheba. He's out on his he's out on his his rooftop and he's and he's looking out and he sees a woman bathing. It's Bathsheba and he's like, mm, she is fine, all right. And he sends. I mean, I'm the king. I can do this. So he sends servants to go get her and they end up having sex together and oh dear she's pregnant now she's married and pregnant what we're gonna what are we gonna do about this oh well let's just get rid of the husband one of his trusted and most faithful fighters and david arranges for his murder and he thinks it's all covered up and then no, a prophet comes to him and says you're exposed and god sees and uh, what we have is psalm 51 is david's prayer after he's confronted with his sin and what does it say if you look at psalm 51 verses 3 and 4 it said this is david speaking for i acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have i sinned david acknowledging that his sin is against god but it's interesting when he says that against you you only i'm thinking no not you only you sinned against uriah he's dead you sinned against bathsheba her life is forever altered and in his mind he recognizes that his sin is first and foremost so much more egregious in god's eyes it's as if everything else pales by comparison so our sins are an offense to God. We need to recognize, even if we think we can say, nobody else is going to get hurt by this. Nobody else is going to get harmed. It's just between me and, and, and my secret uh, closet. No, God sees, and, and it's a sin against God. Verse 10. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, oh, day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Day by day. Uh, <laughs> number three on your fill-in-the-blank forms there. Just because you stood firm once doesn't mean the temptations cease. <laughs> Just because you succeeded in saying no to that sin, to that temptation once, doesn't mean it's over, that it's never going to come back again. Mm-hmm. Day by day. You know... For sin to succeed in your life, in this scenario, right, this is just a picture of any scenario we want to take with, that has to do with our temptation. Uh, let, me use, uh, let me use donuts. Donuts on Wednesdays, down at C5. There's donuts on the table. Every Wednesday, there's donuts. If I, let's say, let's say I decide I cannot have a donut. 
let's say I feel so strongly about it that I decide if I have a donut, I have given in to my flesh. I have sinned. Let's say I've let it go that extreme, right? And then what happens? If I have a donut even one Wednesday, then I've sinned, right? I've failed every Wednesday. There's donuts out there. I could go 51 weeks and not eat a donut, and then on week 52, I could fail. Because all sin needs to succeed in our lives is one time that we are weak and fail and fall. All right? So I'm so thankful when they have donuts. I do take donuts. (laughs) But I get to give them away. (laughs) So I feel good. I'm like, I took a donut. I I don't know why that makes me feel good. And then I get to give it away. And then I'm like, I gave away a donut. (laughs) But you you know what I'm saying. Sin is going to come back at you over and over and over again. You remember the story about Jesus tempted, uh, tempted in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness for 40 days. And he has a rough go of it because Satan himself, he doesn't, Satan doesn't send like some lackey to come, you know, do the temptation of Jesus. He does, he comes himself and he tempts Jesus three times. Do you suppose if Satan's going to tempt Jesus, he's going to come with some weak temptations? No, he's going to come with the big guns, right? So he, he throws out the big ones for him. Now, temptations for Jesus might be t- different temptations than me. Because if you offer me like a Dole Whip frozen yogurt, I might, I might fall to that, you know, but Jesus is going to be like, no, I don't have a problem with that. By the way, I had that twice over the weekend. I've never had it before. It was really good, especially with a little dark chocolate, chocolate chips, and a little whipped cream on top. Oh, it was so good. Sorry. <laughs> uh, can you tell I have a sweet tooth? The, the illustrations I use the most are the like, sweets and stuff. <laughs> so what I've seen is my temptations are different than your temptations, right? So Jesus is out there, and the big guns that Satan has for Jesus, custom made to make Jesus fall, right? He gets, the, he gets blasted three times out there in the wilderness for, in 40 days. You know, you and I, we have small temptations maybe on a daily basis, medium-sized temptations maybe on a monthly basis, but the really big ones, who knows, maybe once a year or something, you know, think in your own mind the biggest temptations that have ever come your way. They're probably infrequent. Jesus had three of them in 40 days, so he's getting blasted, and he resists, right? But what happened? It wasn't that the first temptation that he resisted, there were no more. Satan had come back to him again, and that was successfully overcome and Satan comes back to him again what's the point we're going to get tempted over and over and over again sometimes like Joseph's story right here day by day day by day that'll wear you down that'll wear you down unless you have supernatural strength God helping you out right and and he was hungry after 40 days he was hungry it says he's hungry yes and the first temptation is something he needed yeah I mean when Satan comes to us he's really good at packaging it up in such a way that most of us in our ways of self-rationalizing, we'd go, you know what? I can see why this might be okay. You know, because I am hungry. Why, why can't I have this? I mean... It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad it's thing. Not a bad exactly. Thing. Frozen yogurt's not a bad thing. Don't it's not a bad thing. <laughs> Good point. All right, let's move on from there. So day by day, we were looking at verse 10 right there. One of the things that I wanted to point out with this as well is that in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus gives this teaching. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, right? He gives you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. What does that picture look like? And in that verse, the picture looks like this. You take up your cross. What is the cross? The cross is the thing thing you die on. 
He says, you take up your cross and follow me. But it's not just take up your cross and follow me. It's take up your cross daily and follow me. So what does that look like in our real lives? Because I can only physically die once, right? So it must not be physical death he's necessarily talking about in this passage because I can't die physically daily. It must be I'm dying to my lusts daily. I'm dying to my selfishness daily. The cross that I bear daily is the cross that says no to those temptations that come my way. If I say yes to those temptations, I'm not bearing a cross. What good is that? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden temptation comes my way, and I go, oh, but I'll have some of that. What? No. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you take up your cross. You don't lay it down, have a little of this, have a little of that, pick it up again. Oh, lay it down, have a little of this, have a little of that. No. The intention is that we get to the point where we're following Jesus, and we're able to say, by your strength, I say no to these daily temptations. Is it a sin to be tempted? It's not a sin to be tempted. If you are tempted, that's normal. (laughs) Expect that. Don't think to yourself, oh gosh, I have such a hard time of it because I'm tempted. So is everybody else. Temptations come. They're normal. It's the what you do with them. All right? It's the what you do with them that makes a big difference. Genesis 39 11. Somebody mind reading 39 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. Mm, comma. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Number four, as you're filling those in, beware of temptation when you are alone. All right, so we talked about away from home. Watch out for temptation after success. Beware of temptation when you are alone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're so good in our minds of, of creating excuses and reasons why, oh, oh just this once, or nobody's going to see, or I. That's the way you fall, that's the way you're destroyed. If, if you have a problem when you're alone, falling to temptation, then don't be alone. <laughs> Do whatever you can to not be alone. No, All right? <laughs> yeah, no, don't be alone with the donut. <laughs> verse 12, chapter 39, verse 12. That she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, I wonder what this looked like. Mm-hmm. What, was she laying down on the couch? And he walked by and she grabbed it and pulled him. Did it look like that? Or was he walking through the house with his clipboard and, you know, keeping inventory of I don't know what, and she grabs from behind? And we might think, what, if is he in a T-shirt? If he's in a T-shirt, how would that, how would he get out? If I'm grabbed behind from a T-shirt, what do I do? I can just kind of, you know, wiggle out of that thing. But they didn't have T-shirts back then, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, their clothing was basically one large piece of fabric wrapped around you. I mean, you were tied up in this piece of garment, for the most part. It wasn't something that was easily shed. So it sounds like there's a, a bit of a struggle. If he's able to get away and she still got the garment, there's probably a whole lot of flailing <laughs> that was probably going on, whether or not she was on the couch or whether... Sounds like she's means business. She wants something bad and she's grabbing onto it and she's not letting go. And it takes all he can to get out of this place. He loses his garment in the, in the process. He's left in his underwear, streaking through the streets of Egypt. Um, man, that takes dedication. <laughs> uh, one of the things that it, that's interesting about this, though, is look at what's going on with his temptation. Not often do we have our temptations jump out and grab us and fight with us physically, right? <laughs> I mean, it's if your if your temptation is drunkenness, right? You're not going to be worried about going to bed and that the 
the bottle is going to come out of the liquor cabinet and climb up on your bed and start dumping itself in your mouth. That's ridiculous. The, you're not going to be physically forced to drink the alcohol. It's not like if your addiction is porn that all of a sudden you're on your computer and a seatbelt fastens you in the seat. You can't get out. The computer you know, automatically goes to that web page that you shouldn't be visiting. No, it, that's ridiculous. You yielded to it. You gave in to it. It's not like gambling. The poker table slaps you in the face and makes you, you know, deal the next card or pick up the chips or slide those. No, that's ridiculous. These are ridiculous pictures because what? Because we often yield to temptation by just giving in. This is fighting to get him. Sometimes there's a fight. Sometimes there's a battle that's going on. And if it's not physical, it's spiritual. In our lives, that's where the battle is. It's a spiritual battle between what Paul calls the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants to see you succeed, wants to see you live, wants to see you resist that temptation. The flesh wants to give in to that temptation. The flesh wants the here and now, wants the temporal, all right, and is willing to give up everything else just for the moment. That's the battle that we often experience. And here it's pictured as a physical battle. You read in that verse, but he left his garment in her hand. So far in this chapter, we've seen one thing being left in somebody's hand, and that was Potiphar's estate was left in Joseph's hand. And now the sad counter to that is that his garment is left in the hand of Potiphar's wife, the seductress, the aggressor in this place. And then this is also the second time a piece of clothing has been significant in this story with Joseph. The first one was the coat of many colors that was ripped up and dipped in blood and taken and given to Father to prove that Joseph must have been killed by a wild beast. And here we have another significant piece of clothing that comes up in the story. Verse 13, somebody mind reading verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house... Excellent, thank you. So there's a comma. It's not a full sentence, right? Uh, one of the things I want to point out there are two verses. Number one, 2 Timothy 2.22 says we should flee youthful lusts. All right? Flee youthful lusts. Now, as a teenage boy, when I became a Christian, I run across that verse. I was like, I don't have a problem understanding what that means. That means I need to flee those lusts that I have, right? Here in this story, it's lust somebody else has that he's fleeing. That's kind of interesting to think about that. That sometimes I have a reaction that I need to implement the flight, not because of my own lust, but because of somebody else's. I didn't see that one coming. So that was kind of interesting. Here it's somebody else's lust, and he's the one that has to flee. And then First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Either memorize this passage or underline it in your Bible. This is an important one. First Corinthians chapter 10, First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Because you need to know this when you're tempted. How often are you tempted? All the time. You need to know this then. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So don't think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm strong enough. I can take it. Whatever comes my way. I, I got this. I got this. God's, God's in my ring. God's in my corner. God's, in my, God's my pilot. And I can handle anything that comes my way. Well, you can on his strength, but not on yours. And if you start thinking it's your own strength, you're going to fall. But that's just the intro. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. A way of escape that you may be able to bear it. A way of escape that you may be able to bear it. How do you bear it? By taking the way of escape. If you don't take the way of escape, are you going to be able to bear it? Mm, It sounds like the way of escape is provided that you may be able to bear it. The way of escape. So if you're looking there and you're filling in the blanks, you're going to see one there. Number five, when tempted, look for 
find and use the way of escape. You need to do all three of those things. It's not enough to just look for it. Because if you don't find it and you don't take it, you're not out yet. Look for and find. Well, that's not enough either. Because if you look for and you find it, I can identify a door and I'm in a burning room. If I don't go through the door, I'm going to burn up in the room, right? So look for, find, and use the way of escape. And sometimes, have you ever done this? You're in that moment of temptation. You're in it. And you find the way of escape and you don't take it. You knew that it was provided for. You knew you had a way out. You still took the donut. No, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm saying, you know, it's not enough to just know there's a way of escape. We need to look for it, find that way of escape, and take the way of escape. All right? By the way, when we're looking at that, it doesn't say the way of escape is going to be easy. It it doesn't say the way of escape is going to be convenient. Do you suppose it was easy for Joseph to get away? No, it was hard. Uh, Do you suppose it was convenient? No, he's going to lose his job. And perhaps he's thinking right now, I'm going to lose my life as well. Sometimes escaping, you're still scorched. You still smell like smoke (laughs) because it got that close to you. All right. So it's not to say it's going to be easy. There's nowhere in that verse where it says, and it'll be easy for you. So it says you can bear it. But it's easier at the beginning than if you... Good point. Yeah. Begin down the slope. If there's a fire in your apartment building and you know about it, then get out before the fire gets close to your room. Mm-hmm. If you stick around too long, yeah, it's going to get bad. It's going to get smelly. It's going to get hot. It's <laughs> Yeah, don't don't linger. Don't stick around in that place. Genesis 39, 14. Somebody might read in that one. Then she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying... See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud, loud voice. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So here's Potiphar's wife, right? So Joseph has left. She's there still holding his garment. What's going through her mind? Dang it, he got away. <laughs> and revenge. Hell hath no fury <laughs> like a woman scorned, all right? That's probably where that old uh, saying comes from, perhaps. Uh, she's holding the garment. He has escaped. And now there's revenge probably on her mind. Perhaps there's a little bit of concern, like, oh, dear, if he tells what really happened, then we're in trouble. Have you ever had a situation where you hear about these two parties, and maybe it's a domestic situation, or maybe it's a child custody thing, or maybe it's two neighbors that are always going at it, and now it's the latest episode, and it's getting bad, and then they there's a race to see who can call the cops first. Because if I can call the cops first, it makes him look like the bad guy, right? Or it makes her look like the bad girl, all right? So in this situation, if I can tell my story first, it's going to make me look look better and is going to make him look worse so she's preparing she's scheming of a way to uh, fry joseph uh notice notice there in verse 14 though uh this one word that i want to emphasize here that she called to the man of the house and spoke to them saying see he has brought in a hebrew who is she talking about when she says he she's talking about her husband potiphar who is she placing the blame for this situation on? Her husband, Potiphar. And she's going to blame Joseph, no doubt about it. But she's also roping in Potiphar as being blameworthy in this situation. She's trying to get the servants on her side. You and me were on the same team, and he brought in that guy. As if Potiphar and Joseph are on one side, and the servants are on her side. What is she trying to do? She's trying to get them on her side. 
division. She's trying to divide the household. She's trying to deflect any attention directly at her. Let's see if we can make some teams. And I got all the servants on my team all of a sudden. <laughs> it's probably part of what's going on there. And who knows? Maybe she's trying to feel some animosity that they might already have toward Potiphar. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's trying to feel some jealousy that they might already have toward Joseph, right? So those are probably factors that are coming into it as well. One of the other things, too, is when she refers to Joseph in the hearing of the servants, she uses a, a word where in Gabriella's translation, it just says, brought to us a Hebrew to mock us. It, it just means a Hebrew fellow, okay? It's a Hebrew, a Hebrew male. There's nothing disparaging about that. We're going to see she uses a different term that's more disparaging when she talks to her husband. Verse 15. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice. So she's still talking, right? She's still talking to the servants. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Okay, so this she's still giving the story as to what happened to the servants. Uh, let me ask you a question. Did she lift up her voice and cry out? She did. That was when she called out to the servants, right? So apparently it included a scream that they presumably would have heard. So, yeah, she lifted her voice and cried out. Uh, did he leave his garment? Yeah, yeah, his garments left behind. Uh, did he flee? Did he? F- yeah, yeah, he did that. Did he go outside? Yeah. So, um, so why is that not true? She's got elements of truth in this, right? I mean, she's got elements of truth, but the story she's telling is a lie. The best lies, the most convincing lies. This is uh, number six on your thing. The most convincing lies have elements of truth. She's got a great lie going on right now, but she's definitely filled it with some elements of truth here. Makes it more believable. The most convincing lies have elements of truth. Uh, by the way, verse 16, if you look at that, look in your version, follow along with me, see if yours says the same thing mine does. So the servants commiserated with her and said, oh, you poor baby. Is that what you're saying? No, it doesn't give any reaction to the servants. I, I kind of wonder what it looked like in there. I kind of wish I could have been a fly on the wall. I kind of wonder if I would have seen some of the servants roll their eyes. You know, because a woman who behaves like this, it leads me to believe maybe she's behaved this way before, maybe given some sort of indicators that she's capable of doing something like this, like making up this story, making up these lies, making a passage, Joseph, and whatnot. So I kind of wonder what it looked like if I could have been there to see the expression on the faces of the servants. Verse 16, so she kept his garments with her until... His master came home. You've heard of chain of custody, right? You've got to keep the evidence closed, you know. <laughs> We've got a, an original chain of custody issue going on here. She's keeping that, that evidence with her. She's not turning it over to uh, a storage locker or anything like that. Uh, verse 17, somebody mind reading that one. Then she told him the story, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Did you catch that? That Hebrew slave you brought... She's using a different word here than she did with the servants. When she was talking to the servants, she referred to Joseph as a fellow. But here, when she's talking to Potiphar, oh, she wants to make him look as bad as she can. Because it wouldn't do well to try to tell the servants. That Hebrew slave, because what is it? They're all slaves too. And they're going to be like, wow, the way you say that, I don't like your tone. We're all in that same group, right? But she's more than happy to use that tone with her husband, to use that more demeaning word when talking to her husband. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us. Who's the us? The us is her and the servants. Mm -hmm. Right? So she's basically laying out who the teams are, who the sides are. Came into me to mock me. To mock me? It it means to take advantage sexually of, of her. That's what she's conveying. All right. So she's accusing Joseph of coming in to take sexual advantage of her. It seems that she is a proponent of a, the best offense is a good offense, right? <laughs> That's what she's doing right here. So what is she doing? She's repeating the lie, right? 
she's repeating the lie that she told the servants. Number seven, as you're filling in the blanks right there, any lie is more likely to be believed if it is repeated. Any lie is more likely to be believed if it's repeated. And when we hear a lie enough times, we start to, what, teach it to our kids in school. (laughs) Oh, wait, what are we talking about? We could be talking about all kinds of stuff, right? Any lie is more likely to be believed if it's repeated. All right, verse 19. Verse 19. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Uh, Kenneth Matthew says regarding this verse, His wife ignites his rage when she rubs the betrayal in his face. One of the interesting things, though, about this verse, as you read through the commentators, lots of them point out it doesn't say who Potiphar's mad at. It doesn't say what he's mad about. We read that and we go, it's clear. It's clear he's mad at Joseph because he gets the story and, uh, you know, can't help but believe it because it's his wife. And so he must be mad at Joseph. And for goodness sakes, you'll find out in the next verse that Joseph's thrown into prison. So surely he's mad at Joseph. Well, not so fast. Maybe that's not the whole story. We don't have all the details. We didn't get to see the video on how this all went down. Maybe he's mad at his wife. Maybe he doesn't believe her. Maybe he's seen this happen or something similar happened to this before. Maybe he's mad that the situation has gotten to where it is and he's lost his best servant that maybe he's ever had. We don't know what he's mad at. He could be mad at Joseph. He could be mad at his wife. He could be mad that the situation is now being thrust upon him and he loses his best servant. Look at verse 20, then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. Oh, there you have it. Clearly he's mad at Joseph. Well, it doesn't say he killed Joseph. Presumably he could have. He's a powerful dude. And if you make him mad enough, he could probably snuff you out. But that doesn't happen here. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. A place where the king's prisoners were confined. Maybe that's even better in custody uh, arrangement than maybe a common folk would would be put in because it's the king's prisoners. Maybe he doesn't believe his wife. We don't know. It's speculation. We're just taking guesses here trying to figure out maybe what happened. Victor P. Hamilton says, Perhaps Potiphar's decree that Joseph be incarcerated, not executed, is a sign that he is not totally convinced about the authenticity of his wife's story. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You know, that's interesting. You notice that the wording there is very similar to the wording when Joseph rose in prominence, in power, in trust in Potiphar's household. And you remember God was specifically mentioned as being with Joseph in that moment as well. This is the chapter where we're told over and over again that the Lord is with Joseph. Now, was Joseph a handsome man? Oh, yeah, he was a handsome man. He would probably be on the calendar of the handsome man calendar that, you know, <laughs> women like to hang up on their walls or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was a handsome man. We're told that. It's pretty, made pretty clear. Uh, was Joseph intelligent? Yeah, it seems he, he had good problem-solving capabilities. He was able to figure out more efficient ways of doing things. Yeah, he's a smart guy. But when it comes right down to it, and this is number eight, God's presence, comma, favor, and mercy. Trump good looks and intelligence. Good looks? Will it get you farther than bad looks? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
being smart will that get you farther than being dumb yeah yeah that'll that that's helpful all right uh but what's more important than all of those is god's presence favor and mercy verse 21 the lord was with joseph and showed him mercy all right let's go ahead and close in prayer Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to learn as we go through your word those things that you would have for us. And today, Lord, on our plate, we've got various things to watch out for when we're being tempted or to expect temptations to come. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to honor you by making wise choices when the temptations come. We pray that we would find our strength in you. We pray that you would help us to take up our cross, denying ourselves giving into those temptations using self-rationalizations that say nobody else needs to know nobody else is going to get hurt we pray that you would help us to recognize that any offense any sin is a sin in your eyes even if somebody else doesn't find out we pray that you would help us to be more like you each day god all of us are tempted regularly all of us fail regularly Help us, Lord, not to throw up our hands and say, I give up, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna indulge in whatever I want. But rather, Lord, help us to continue on in this journey, in this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Feeding the spirit more, feeding the flesh less, to honor you, to glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys have a great week. Yeah.